listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. This morning's scripture lesson is found in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. If you'd like to follow along, it's on your, in your pew Bibles, uh, pages 157 and 158. When you make your neighbor a loan of any kind, you shall not go into the house to take the pledge. You shall wait outside while the person to whom you are making the loan brings the pledge out to you. If the person is poor, you shall not sleep in the garment given you as the pledge. You shall give the pledge back by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in the cloak and bless you. And it will be to your credit before the Lord your God. You shall not withhold the wages of poor and needy laborers, whether other Israelites or aliens who reside in your land in one of your towns. You shall pay them their daily wages before sunset because they are poor and their livelihood depends on them. Otherwise, they might cry out to the Lord against you and you would incur guilt. Parents shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their parents. Only for their own crimes may persons be put to death. You shall not deprive a resident alien or an orphan of justice. You shall not take a widow's garment in pledge. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in the field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. morning again, everybody. <clears throat> it's really good to be here today. So we're in the midst of this teaching series called Mana Economics. We've been looking at this for a, a few weeks now, really delving into some of the economic and stewardship principles of ancient Israel. And um, this has kind of been one of those series where each week sort of builds on the weeks before. There's a lot of assumptions that you've heard the previous teachings. And um, all of our sermons are online, so if you miss one, you can always go on and hear what you missed. But I still just want to kind of catch everybody up on what we've been covering the last few weeks before we delve into the topic of gleaning. Um, The first sermon in this series a few weeks back was about manna in the wilderness, which is this classic Bible story where God provides food for the Israelites when they're in the desert by having bread rain down from heaven. And this is all part of God breaking the Israelites free from this scarcity mindset. They've been slaves in Egypt for centuries, where there was never quite enough to go around. They always had to scrape and fight and struggle to get what little scraps they could. They've been enslaved in this mindset of scarcity, and God is shifting them to a mindset of abundance, the ability to trust that God has already provided all that we need. We just have to be faithful in stewarding it. And God instills that lesson through this gift of manna. That was the first sermon in the series. 
Then the week after that, we talked about Sabbath, which is really about stewarding ourselves, stewarding our energy, stewarding our work, stewarding our bodies, moving out of the mindset where our value lies in what we can produce, what we can earn, what we can make, and instead learning to trust that our identity is rooted in God and our identity as God's children. That was Sabbath. Then last week we talked about the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, um, which on one hand is about stewarding the land, stewarding the earth, uh, taking time away from sowing and harvesting, working the ground to allow the ground to rest, while at the same time being this radical economic reset for society where debts are forgiven, slaves are freed, land returns to its original owners, and everybody gets a fresh start. So we had manna, which is stewarding bread, Sabbath, which is stewarding ourselves, and Jubilee, which is about stewarding the earth and stewarding society. Today we're going to talk about the gleaning laws of the Old Testament. How many people here are familiar with the gleaning laws? Okay, this is not, this is not something a lot, of, a lot of Christians are savvy to, so this is going to be some new, um, some new territory. And the gleaning laws are about society's responsibility to steward its resources for the poor. So this one might get a little political, fair warning, which would never happen here, right? (laughs) Exactly. Remember, though, all we're doing is really just exploring what the Bible has to say on these questions and these realities. So, you know, don't blame me, blame Moses. That's all I have to say going into this. So um, the Old Testament is just loaded with laws protecting the poor. Um, and the vulnerable. We saw a lot of them kind of in the first half of this passage. We've touched on a number of them in this series. Um, The Israelites weren't allowed to charge interest on loans, which would be really good news for anyone borrowing a loan. Um, The Israelites had this practice they were supposed to do of debt forgiveness and returning land that had been lost or foreclosed on to its original owners uh, after a period of time. Uh, From our passage today, we had a bunch of stuff there. If you take a garment of clothing from someone as collateral, you have to give it back at night so they don't freeze. That might be the only coat they have. Um, You can't mistreat widows. You've got to pay laborers a fair wage. These are all important legal requirements intended to protect people against being exploited. But a lot of these laws we cover, not all of them, but, but most of them, assume a certain level of privilege. Like, if you're going to borrow a loan without interest, there's probably the assumption that you're going to be able to pay that loan back at some point. Um, If you lose your land through foreclosure and then eventually you get it back, there's this assumption that you have land to begin with. Um, Laws about paying laborers a fair wage, it assumes that the laborers are physically able of laboring. These are all protections for people who start out in a good place, but they fall off at some point. They fall on hard times. They're laws protecting people for whom the system already works. And in this culture we're talking about, ancient Israel, the ancient world, that pretty much meant men, especially able-bodied, land-owning men. Those were the people that the system worked for. But what about the people the system didn't work for? What about the people who, like, completely fall through the cracks, that the system itself is kind of set against them. What about widows, orphans, and foreigners, aliens, people who don't have a land-owning male somewhere to protect them? What is society's responsibility to them? 
This is a question that we're still grappling with today. What is our responsibility for the poor? What is our responsibility as a society for migrants and foreigners in our midst? What's our responsibility for people who have been historically marginalized? People who've had the deck stacked against them to the point where it might not matter how hard they work. There's going to be something preventing them from getting ahead. And the Bible's answer to all this, or one of its answers at least, are these gleaning laws. Gleaning is the practice of going back through the field after it's been harvested and kind of plucking out anything that's left behind. Whether it was missed by the harvesters or if it grew up afterwards. That's gleaning. These are the gleaning laws. And they're specifically designed to protect the poorest and most vulnerable members of ancient Israelite society. There's three main places um, in the Jewish law where we find gleaning laws. Uh, two of them are in the book of Leviticus. One is in our passage from Deuteronomy. I want to look at all three of these uh, real quick so we have just a basic understanding of what these laws cover. Um, the first two are in Leviticus 19, 9-10, and 23-22. I'm going to read them. They'll be on the screen as well. <clears throat> It's from Leviticus 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes on your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. And then very similar in chapter 23. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. And then we've got the relevant section of our passage from today. Deuteronomy 24, 19 to 22. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, that's like a bushel of grain, if you leave behind a bushel of grain. You shall not go back to get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. Now, there's a lot to unpack there. We've got that cadence it comes back to of the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Again, kind of pointing us to the most marginalized and vulnerable members of society. But I really want to make sure we're clear on what all these gleaning laws cover, because there's a lot here. So first, the Israelites are not supposed to harvest the gleanings of their crops. And that includes anything that grows in the fields, on trees, or on vines. So like wheat, barley, olives, figs, grapes, pretty much any crop they would have gathered. After the harvest, you are not allowed to go back through and take anything that was left behind. That belongs to the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Then anything that falls to the ground naturally, so like if some olives fall off of a tree or some grapes come loose in the field, you don't scoop those up. You leave them there on the ground for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And this also applies to anything that's left behind by mistake. So if one of your workers leaves some crops out in the field, you don't go back and get them. You leave them there for the and widow. Ah, excellent. We're getting it. 
And then on top of all that, the Israelites aren't allowed to harvest the edges of their field. So whatever crops you grow, you leave the edges unharvested so that if any poor people happen to be passing along on the road, they can stop and take what they need. Now, I'm a city kid. I'm, I, I worked a couple summers on a tomato farm way back in seminary, but I am pretty ignorant on all this farming stuff. So I don't really know how much the gleanings constitute. I don't really have a base of understanding that. There's probably some people here who do, and they'll tell me afterwards what I got wrong. Um, but I don't really know about a lot of this. I don't know how much really comes from the edges of the field, but honestly, it doesn't sound like much. Leave the edges of your fields. Leave behind the gleanings. Leave anything that falls on the ground or that you forget. That sounds like the scraps. It kind of sounds like the unwanted stuff, the produce that's not good enough to sell in the market. Leave that there for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. And isn't that kind of how we treat the poor today? We leave them the scraps. Like, I've worked in food shelters before. I've even eaten out of food shelters at a couple points. And, like, there can be really good stuff, but there's also dented cans, bread that went bad two days ago, meat we're going to have to cook tonight before it turns, right? You're not finding, like, filet mignon in the food shelter. No, of course not. Because that's the scraps. That's what we give to the alien, the orphan, and the widow. But then I did some homework on these gleaning laws, and it turns out I was wrong. <laughs> I looked into them a bit more deeply, and they're actually way more radical than they seem on the surface to a city kid like me. So remember, we're talking, this is like 3,000 years ago, give or take. This is way before the dawn of like industrial farming and modern agriculture. We're really spoiled today. I can go to the grocery store and get any produce I want pretty much any time of the year I want. If I want avocados in February in a blizzard here in western New York, they're a buck 65 at Walmart. It's amazing. That's not the world of the Old Testament. Before the dawn of modern agriculture, these ancient societies only had the food that was available to them seasonally. And you couldn't harvest crops all year round, which means that you had to set aside a portion of each harvest for the hunger period. The time in the year when there wouldn't be any food. And depending on the climate, the hunger period in some of these ancient societies could range from a few weeks to a few months, where if you hadn't set aside enough food from the last harvest, you and your family are going to go hungry. And in ancient Israel, the hunger period was about three months. So imagine you're a farmer <clears throat> harvesting your crop. You need to harvest enough to feed yourself and your household, that's your family, that's your animals, that's uh, servants, laborers, all of that. You need to harvest enough to sell at the market or to trade, to kind of make a living, to buy other stuff, right? And you've also got to set aside enough food during the harvest so that you're ready for that hunger period, three months, give or take, without any food. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you're not allowed to glean from your crops after the harvest. And you can't harvest the edges of your field. That belongs to the alien, the orphan, and the widow. 
we're not talking about scraps here. We're talking about a sizable chunk of your resources, a significant portion of your livelihood, of your family's well-being that belongs to the poor and to foreigners. Do you see how easily scarcity could creep into a system like that? Do you see how tempting it would be to go back through the fields and pluck out anything that's left? to scoop up those olives off the ground, to go back for that bushel of barley that you dropped the other day. We're back at that whole scarcity versus abundance thing. Which is it going to be? Are we going to give to the poor until it hurts? Are we going to give to the point that it potentially puts us at risk? Are we going to make sure that the marginalized people foreigners, people who don't look like us, people who don't even know us, are we going to make sure that they have what they need? Or are we going to look after our own and let all those other people fend for themselves? Will we trust God's abundance? Or are we going to cling to whatever we can get our hands on for fear of running out? Scarcity or abundance? And see, Christians are really good at getting out of this stuff. I don't know if you've noticed that about us, but we are really good at ignoring this stuff, especially when it's in the Old Testament. We'll point to like a verse in the New Testament. This one comes up a lot. It's a point where Jesus says, the poor you'll always have with you. And we often use that to say that like we don't have to try to do anything about poverty because the poor you'll always have with you, which isn't exactly what Jesus is saying there. We'll say, yeah, but those laws were just for the Israelites. They don't apply to the other nations. Totally ignoring the pages and pages in the Bible where Israel's neighbors are judged for not caring for the orphan, the widow, and the alien. Or like my personal favorite, we'll say that's just the Old Testament. We don't have to take that seriously. We have the New Testament. Of course, there's plenty of stuff in the Old Testament that we still take pretty seriously today. Teachings about morality and sex. We love holding other people accountable to what the Old Testament teaches about sex, don't we? Anybody? (laughs) But the laws about money and economics, we don't like those as much. Because those might actually implicate us. Those teachings from the Bible about society's responsibility to steward its resources, to provide for the marginalized, for those for whom the system doesn't work, we're not as comfortable with that. And so we don't bat an eyelash when our society cuts food stamps or foreign aid or education while spending more and more money on things like defense and weapon systems. We don't seem to notice or care when certain members of society are deemed unworthy of our help and cast aside. Scripture calls us to action on this stuff, but that's the part of the Bible we choose to ignore. Stewardship just means giving money to the church, right? And, and maybe supporting a few Christian charities I like. <coughs> The Bible doesn't say anything 
about stewarding my resources for the poor. And yet here it is. This isn't like a vague teaching about how we should be more generous or how we should give a little something to the poor if we can afford it. This is a command from God to set aside a significant portion of our resources to care for the most vulnerable members of society. Why would the Bible make such a radical call? What reason are we given for giving to the poor to the point where it puts us at risk? Well, the reason is stated outright in the very last verse of our passage. Deuteronomy 24, verse 22. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this. Remember that you were once on the outside looking in. Remember that you were slaves to a system that didn't work for you. A system that exploited you and dehumanized you. Remember that... And let that memory propel you into action to make sure it never happens again. Whenever the Bible talks about issues of justice, we find this call to remember. Remember your past. Remember your history. Remember where you came from. Remember how you and your ancestors struggled. Remember when you were at the end of your rope and someone showed grace to you. Remember when you messed everything up and God still offered you forgiveness. Remember when you were living in rebellion and Christ died for you. There's a power to memory. It's when we forget where we've been and what we've overcome that we run the risk of losing ourselves. That's why memory is so powerful. Scripture calls us to remember time and time again. It's that memory that grounds us. It's that history that calls us back to God and helps us to truly love our neighbors as ourselves. We come to this table this morning to remember an act of grace that was provided for us. We come here to remember when we were on the outside looking in. When we had no hope, no means of saving ourselves, until God stepped in and provided rescue. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you that while we were still in rebellion, Christ died for us defeating the forces of sin and death so that we can enjoy eternal life with you. Help us to remember that sacrifice, Lord. Help us to remember the generous outpouring of love and grace and mercy that we have received. And may that act of remembering move us into action to pursue lives of abundance, putting the needs of others ahead of our own, and sharing your love for those on the margins. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.